The scripture is from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Next hour, we'll be confirming uh, 60 youth uh, into uh, membership in our church. And uh, so I'm going to share with you what I intend on sharing with them uh, at the next um, service. And that is, it's my strong hunch that many of you will need to pray very soon. In fact, some of you may be praying right now that this service will come quickly to an end. Others of you may be praying soon about a test or perhaps an illness in your family or a relationship that doesn't seem to be working the way that you would like. All of us at some point or another need to pray. And my best advice to you this morning is when it's time to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. I mean, first of all, you already know it. You already have it memorized. But more importantly, this was the prayer that Jesus modeled for us. When they asked Jesus to teach them to pray in Luke 11, Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, this is what he teaches them. It is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus models it, uses it himself. And uh, scholars are all pretty clear, and it's in your bulletin this morning if you want to find the quote about it, uh, but there's a large consensus that Jesus didn't just make up this prayer. Jesus took the best and the spirit of the prayers of the people of his day uh, from what were known as the Amidah, which is 18 blessings, though two were added after Jesus' day, and the Kaddish. And basically, he's given them a greatest hits, a Reader's Digest version of how to pray. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. It's the best of the prayer available to the people of his day. And the early church believed in it so much that confirmands who would have walked in your shoes 1,800 years ago were taught in class that they should pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. The Lord's Prayer is a very significant prayer. And if you will focus in your times of need just on the first two words, it will teach you much about God, much about yourself, and much about prayer. And so that's what I want to do with you this morning, is just look at the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. The first word I want to look at with you is Father. And when we call God Father, it means that we can pray with confidence. Because fathers, quite frankly, want to hear from their children. They desire to hear from their children. They desire to help their children. When we call God Father, it means that we know God wants and waits to hear from us. I can think of how many times in my life I have spent waiting to hear from my children. I've waited for a text. I've waited for an email. I've waited for a phone call. I've waited for the sound of the car coming up. The driveway. So much of my life was waiting to hear from my children. And I know that God, the Heavenly Father, even much more so desires to hear from us. And we can go directly into God's presence and know that God will receive us. One of the great uh, stories from uh, life of Abraham Lincoln came from the time when his two little boys, uh, Willie and uh, Tad, were in the White House uh, growing up. And uh, Tad one day uh, was in front of the White House, and he noticed a soldier there who looked very forlorn. And so he asked the soldier what the problem is, and the, prob- and the soldier said, Well, my father died. My mother's alone on the family farm because my brother was just killed in battle as well. And I need to see the president to see if I can go back home and help my mother, but I can't get in. And so Tad said, I can get you in. Follow me. 
And the soldier followed Lincoln's uh, child, youngest child, Tad, and he took him all the way into the presence of the President of the United States who was able to help the man with his problem. And in the same way, we know that we can get right into the presence of the Father who desires to help us in, uh, with our issues and with our needs and our problems. But I do have to tell you there are other stories about Lincoln's boys, Willie and Tad, uh, that they would take advantage of the situation in other ways. They might be out of town or on a train trip, and they might say to a stranger, you want to see old Abe? And they'll go, yeah, yeah, we want to see him. And they'd lead him down a trail uh, to someone who wasn't Abraham Lincoln at all. And the story is also told that occasionally Tad would find people in front of the White House and charge them for the privilege of getting in to see his father. And it just reminds me that sometimes uh, when we talk about father, our own experiences with our fathers get in the way because maybe they were less than what we hoped that they would be or we wanted them to be. And I guess I have two responses to that. The first one is your, your earthly fathers are not perfect. I cannot tell you how many times in my life as a parent I've wished for a do-over. I wish I could have a mulligan on this one and start it again. And, and I meant well, but, but I couldn't do well and do right and and our fathers are the same way but i also have to tell you that there was much about my own father that i didn't understand as a child and what i thought was unfair or unjust or not in my favor was simply decisions that my father was making so that i would grow up in ways that were appropriate and right for this life so that i would learn to be the person god wanted me to become but i couldn't see it at the time so sometimes it's that our fathers aren't perfect but sometimes it's that our understanding as children and as youth of our fathers is imperfect. But this you need to know. Every decent father on this planet wants to give their sons and daughters what they need to uh, have a life that is abundant. They want to give them an education. They want to give them uh, uh, food and clothing. They want to give them transportation. And Jesus capitalized on this when he was teaching about prayer in Luke 11. He said, now which of you earthly fathers... If your children asked for a fish, you would give them a snake. Or if your children asked for an egg, you'd give them a scorpion. And the obvious answer to the rhetorical question is nobody would do that. And then Jesus says, if earthly fathers wouldn't make that kind of mistake, how much more so do you think your heavenly father wants to give you good things? When you pray, our Father, you're basically saying, God, I trust you. I know you love me. I know you want the best for me, and I know you will hear my prayer. We can pray with confidence to our Father. But there is that other word, our, as Jane pointed out to the children. Uh, What does it mean to say our Father? Well, I think it means right off the bat that we are part of a family. That when we come into the body of Christ, when we are confirmed on this Sunday morning, we become part of a large community of faith. We have many new brothers and sisters. And uh, the early church taught um, in 250 A.D., one of the bishops said this, A person who does not have the church as his mother cannot have God as his father. And it wasn't a threat that said, get inside the church or else. It was just a way of saying, I will tell you the truth of the experience. It's very hard to know God is a father that loves you if you don't know your brothers and sisters and experience God's care through them. If you're trying to be a lone rager Christian, you're simply not going to know the love that God has for you. God has intentionally put you into a family. Jesus at one time said that when we prayed, we could call God Abba or Daddy. 
The root word for that in Hebrew is ab, which means the one who strengthens the family. God's purpose is not to strengthen us individually. God's desire, God's desire is to strengthen all of us together as brothers and sisters. And so there's two things you need to know when you're being confirmed. And the first one is this. Your brothers and sisters, your family is here to help you. And if you need something, the very first thing that God may do when you call on God is to have your brothers and sisters come to your aid, come to your rescue, come to your support. Pastor Donna was telling me last week about a village in Africa where there are no mirrors because the children and youth in the village find out who they are, their identity and their destiny from the other people in the community who love them, who encourage them, uh, who speak words of blessing in uh, to their life. And, and your community here is here to help you. In fact, Jesus could say some pretty outrageous things. One of them in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, I don't want you to worry about everything, anything at all, because uh, your father knows that you need clothes and you need food and your father will give it to you. But I think we've misunderstood the passage for so long, and now scholars are helping us. We expected, I think, God would somehow put the check in the mail to us or rain it down from heaven. But what Jesus knew is that these people who followed him were a family, and they had many, many brothers and sisters. And surely among all these brothers and sisters, someone will be able to provide what you need when you need it. One time the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, we have left everything for you. And Jesus said this in the 10th chapter of Mark. said, I tell you, no one who's left mother or brothers or sisters or field will fail to receive in this life even more mothers and brothers and sisters and fields. And what Jesus was teaching was not a prosperity gospel if you believe that God will give you wealth beyond your wildest dreams. What Jesus was teaching is we're family. And the field that belongs to your brother is also yours. And the food that your brother has can also be shared with you. I know that your family will care for you. When you join the family of God, you are going to be helped by other people in that family. But there's something else you need to know when you're being confirmed. When you become a part of this family, you're here to help other people as well. In other words, you may in fact be God's answer to somebody else's prayer. And it teaches me that the best prayers that we offer are prayers that we offer for other people, for our brothers and for our sisters. And we pray for them on Sunday morning and during the week. We are praying like family. And it reminds me to never pray for for God to give me something that I can only get if it's taken away from somebody else. So many of our prayers, if we looked at them very logically for a few minutes, we'd realize they're actually quite selfish. We are asking for something, but really if God gave it to us, it would be at the expense of somebody else. And friends, family doesn't pray like that. Family doesn't live like that. You are here to help others. You help them through your prayers. You help them by answering their prayers that they make to God. In fact, most of the prayers that Jews would offer in Jesus' day required ten men to be present to offer that prayer. You couldn't offer that prayer in private. God knew that prayer was essentially a communal activity. We want to pray in a way that blesses our brothers and sisters, not just selfishly for ourselves. I mean, could you imagine if the things that you have prayed to God for in the last week were up on the screen this morning with your name attached to them? Or the prayer requests you'd made to God this week were on your Facebook page? Could you handle that? Or would you realize that maybe my prayers were very selfish this week? I didn't pray as a part 
of a family. Some of our prayers are selfish and some, quite frankly, are just silly. Some prayers God just shouldn't even bother with, like praying to win the game. Do you understand that if God helps you win the game, that means God's causing someone else to lose? Does that make sense? And as much as I would like to tell you that the results of Monday night's college championship were divinely ordained so that they would have a righteous result, it's simply not so. It's simply not so. Years ago in the NCAA tournament, uh, Arkansas had a half-court shot to win the game at the buzzer. And one of the, one of the players credited God with helping him make that last second shot. And I remember the comment from the University of Texas coach at the time was something like, I would think God has better things to do than to decide who wins a basketball game. Some of our prayers are quietly, quite frankly selfish, and we pray to be winners in some areas of life, and that makes others losers. And God wants us all to win because we are all family. And one of the ways that we come to win together is by, as brothers and sisters, supporting each other and praying for each other. That makes us the winners that God intends that we all become. I'm reminded of something that took place before um, most of you were born in the confirmation class. It was one of the great athletic miracles of uh, the 20th century, and that was the triumph of the United States Olympic team, first over the heavily favored Russians and then over uh, Finland in the 1980 Olympics. It was called The Miracle on Ice, and maybe you've seen the movie. And the movie that recounts the story, Kurt Russell uh, plays Herb Brooks, the, the coach of the Olympic team. And when they first meet the people on the Olympic team, they ask for their name and they tell their name. So whether it's a Christian or Eruzioni or Silk, and then they tell what college they played for, Boston College or Boston University or Michigan. And that's the way they identify themselves. Well, sometime a little bit later as the team comes together, they are in a particularly grueling practice. And the coach continues to skate them until they are throwing up. And they're miserable and he continues to ask them who they are. Finally, one of them gets the right answer. If you remember, he gives his name and he says, I skate for the United States of America. And when they get the right answer, he quits skating everybody into the ground because now they have the understanding that it will take for them to have that miracle. They understand that they are family. They understand they are community. And that's how it works in God's world still today. When we pray to God and bless each other as a part of the community, that sets the stage for the miracles that God will work in our life.